Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Sherry, it's nice to spend this time with you again. Today, I was thinking that we could talk about something my daughter's going through, and I know you've experienced, although differently, and that is trauma. And we've talked about trauma before, but trauma really is part of your everyday life. Recently, my children were in a bus accident. There were about 18 people on the bus, and thankfully, no serious injuries. But serious is a question of categories, isn't it? My children have suffered trauma in that Marissa is afraid to take the bus, so much so that she ends up with panic attacks and they start about an hour before the bus comes. She had some other injuries and those were deep tissue injuries. She went to physical therapy. But when she went to physical therapy, that's when we noticed that the panic attacks started. And I think her body was reliving that bus accident. And instead of getting emotionally better, her body's getting stronger, but she is physically and mentally, uh, the connection there is making her have such anxiety. I literally have to pick her up every day and she's shaking like a leaf. And I know that for everybody, trauma is a fact of life. We all suffer some sort of trauma. I know you have as well, but it's about how our brains process it. So I know you've lived with trauma a lot longer than Marissa has because you're a lot older and yours is different trauma. How do you deal with yours and what can I expect of Marissa? Because it's, it's, awful. I can't even drive in a car with her. She feels the bump on the road and she goes into panic mode. I think one of the things that happens when you talk about Marissa going to physical therapy and her her body is starting to get stronger, but her emotions are becoming more raw. When somebody's going through physical therapy, and this is just an example, they are re-experiencing some of the same feelings in the physical therapy that they had after the accident. So it's sort of like you go through the experience and you don't feel or think anything. And then some time goes by. And of course you address the physical injuries because that's the most obvious, but then there's this whole process of taking the brain and our reaction to these different things we've experienced and learning how to reclaim safety in our bodies. What you're talking about, and this is something that I've definitely experienced in my life, and I see this a lot in my work, is the body will hold on to not just the physical memory of 
what happened, but the emotions that Marissa felt. It sounds like in a way when she's having the panic attacks an hour before the bus ride, it's the part of her that's apprehending the accident happening again and again and again, even though she knows she's not getting on a bus right now. Her mom is coming to pick her up. The thought of getting on a bus and not being able to have that control of, but if I get back on that bus, how do I know that it's going to be okay? So one of the things that I've learned about in this, I, I call it a crazy making process because people who've gone through car accidents and medical trauma and different types of abuse and even things like surgery, there's so many layers of recovery that one has to go through. Even when somebody chooses, I, when I was 35, I needed to have surgery because I had thyroid cancer. I chose to have that surgery because that was what I wanted to do. So I didn't need to worry about having cancer. Even something that I chose to do, there was an element of trauma in that. Because again, when somebody is going into our bodies and taking something from us, even though I'm choosing it, it's still, it feels out of control. It feels out of control to think that our bodies can do things that we can't stop. And I think that one of the things that's scary about the bus, bus accident for Marissa is when the, when the bus is about to have the crash, she can't walk up to the, to the bus driver and say, can you move over? Because I need to make sure that we don't crash. So she's lost that sense of control. And one of the things that I work with people on and that I've worked on in my own recovery is learning how to regain a sense of trust in any experience that we may be revisiting. So for Marissa, it's about how do you help her to be able to get in a car and get back on a bus and not keep reliving these fears, anxiety, each time she steps back on that bus. And for right now, it's even now extended to the bump in the road. So I'm talking her through it. So the trauma, from what I see, is causing her processing and her brain to malfunction. And she goes into a state of panic because that bump is triggering for her. And I talk her through it, telling her she's safe, she'll be okay. I make sure the car is going slow. One of these days, I'm going to end up with a traffic ticket for impeding traffic because I'm going that slow. I'm trying to be safe about it. But it's a question of, does she have to stay stuck there or can I help her through it? And talking to her very calmly, reminding her she's safe. It's been helping and working, but I now have learned to expect that if there's a bump, she's going to go into overdrive, her brain malfunctions and says, we're gonna crash. So you know what's tricky about this? The more you drive in the car with her and the slower you go and the more bumps you go over, you as a parent can start to absorb some of her anxiety because you know that driving over bumps doesn't create any issue, but because you're in the car with your daughter and I know you love her to pieces, when you see her over and over again, having that panic response, it's so important that you keep saying to yourself things like, this is where she's at now, but the more we get in this car, the more we work through these issues, eventually what's going to happen is she's going to be able to sit in the car and go over a bump and not have this, this response. And I think with Marissa, one of the things that I 
think she's already working on from what we've talked about is not just having you say to her, it's okay, it's safe, but figuring out, and I know this is hard because she's such a little person, but figuring out how to say those things to herself, to be able to sit in the car when you go over the bump and to be able to say to herself, we're just going over a bump. That's not the same thing as when I was on the bus that day. And to be able to say to her body, body, we're safe right now. It's okay. I think that's something, and, and I don't know if you realize this, but the one advantage of being 10 and going through something like this is that she's going to learn at such a young age how to, how to cope with circumstances that are out of her control and how to be in her body and feel whatever she's feeling and learn how to be safe in it. So when we, when we talk about this bus accident, and I know it's very upsetting, sometimes I do think, but there, the advantage for her is she's learning things that I learned when I was 35 or that I learned when I was 40. And while I would never want anybody to have to go through something like that, because you're supporting her, you're getting her help. There's a lot of gifts that probably will come out of this for her. So I think that's something you can also tell yourself when you're in the car with her, her and you're thinking, I can't have one more day of this. I can't, I can't stand this experience to just also as a parent or loved one to remind yourself, if your loved one is facing whatever happened, to try and be patient and remind yourself that this is part of the process. It's better to do that than to just say, well, we'll just never go in the car again. Right. Because her you body can... is in constant alert. What you're saying is it rings so true because her body is in constant alert. It freezes. I talk her through it. And I think what I'm seeing is that she's becoming, although it's taking a long, long time, and I know she has a much further place to go, but I'm finding that she is starting to be attuned to her body, her body rhythms, realizing it's coming. Um, she's starting to realize the emotions are coming. She's looking to me to help her through it. And I'm hoping to help her with her decision-making and her relationships because now there's also other children who were on the bus. They have teamed together, but some of that's triggering when she sees bus drivers and her reactions to help her work through those because she will be in an environment where there are buses and there are bus drivers. And so we all need to learn our relationship to our trauma and how to get past it. And so she's 10, almost 11, and she has a long road ahead of her. But I also know you went through that and still go through that sometimes. How long do you think it took you? I know your trauma was quite different where you could actually uh, recognize and walk yourself through it or breathe better or tell yourself you're going to be okay. I think for me, when I got pregnant, when I decided that I wanted to have a child and I chose to get pregnant for, for so many years, I would say there's no way I'm ever going to be able to get pregnant because it's going to be too triggering I don't want to have to face the feelings that I had about pregnancies that were unwanted. So what happened for me was when I first got pregnant, I was fine. I was excited. I was happy. Around Starting at around week eight, I started 
remembering things in my pregnancy at 40 that I, I felt when I was 15, 17, 18, 19. And I went through a period where I was so angry and so sad. Like now I can't deny that I was ever pregnant because clearly my body is showing me and telling me what pregnancy was like for me after, after being, after getting pregnant from my abuser. And I would say that there was probably a four to five week period in my pregnancy, probably around week eight till about week 13. When even when I would put my hand on my stomach, something I used to do when I was a teenager, when I was pregnant is I used to just cover my stomach with my hands, especially whenever I was in public. And I, I'll never forget this. I was in a class one day, a workout class. And this guy comes up to me and he says, why do you always put your hand over your stomach like that? And I remember at the time feeling very uncomfortable and, and, you know, thinking curse words in my head and, you know, get away from me. And then I had a flashback when I was pregnant with Andrew. And I remember talking about it in therapy. There were different things that I did to not see my pregnancy. So what I did when I was pregnant with Andrew was first, I went through those feelings of devastation, anger, sadness, because I knew my body was not going to let me stay in denial. It was probably the part of my abuse that I had the hardest time accepting. Not the abuse itself, but getting pregnant at such young ages and having no idea what was going on, but yet knowing very well what was going on and living in a family that, where, where there was so much denial. What I ended up, what ended up happening was once I got past week 13, because my miscarriages all occur between week eight and around week 13 or 14. Once I got past week 13 and I continued to be pregnant, rather than feel fear and sort of like what you're describing with Marissa, there were times when I would break into like a cold sweat and get so anxious because I couldn't stand remembering being pregnant as I was pregnant. It was so upsetting for me. But then once I got past week 13, I went from being scared and devastated to feeling joy and feeling victory and feeling so empowered. So what ended up happening was I went, I went from feeling despair and denial to acceptance. And it was probably the first time in my life that I actually began to fall in love with the body that I was actually in. And I remember saying this to myself, and I say this a lot to my patients, while the things that were done or the things that we've been through or the injury that we've sustained in our bodies can be life altering, devastating. The fact that we're still here and we can talk about these experiences and that we are able to be in bodies that actually work, for me, that was the gift. My body actually works, even though I'm thinking there's no way I'm ever going to be able to have a pregnancy and also feeling not, not deserving of having a pregnancy. I went from thinking that to my body is the best thing that ever happened to me because my body held on to the memories that I couldn't process and my body was still working. It's still working. So this is something that I talk to patients so much about when they come in and they talk about feeling like they hate their bodies or feeling like they can't be in their bodies. I will say, but let's 
let's think about the things about your body that, that helps you to get what you want. Like when I think about your daughter, Marissa, I think about, she did get hurt. She got hurt physically and she got hurt psychologically, but she's okay. She can still go play basketball. She can still, she can still run around the house. She can still drive you bananas, right? So you get to that point where you realize I was injured. I wasn't damaged. There's a big difference. When you're damaged, you can't repair it. But a lot of times people go through injuries, right? Like she was injured in the bus accident. She wasn't ruined. I was hurt by my perpetrator and my body went through lots of trauma through these different pregnancies, but my body still could carry a healthy pregnancy. So our bodies have a memory yarn and that memory yarn can be rewound into a different kind of ball of yarn, right? So that we can take the negative and put it into a positive and that helps to get the fear out of our body and our mind and move past it. And there are certain tools that can be used uh, like meditation, breathing exercises, uh, saying positive things, therapy. I know Marissa and Michael are in therapy to get past that emotional trauma and those triggers, but recognizing it as you did is the first step. And then flipping that script into positivity is important. And there's so many things out there that can help, right? And I think that's the most important thing. When we've been through something and we don't wanna deal with the feelings, then what ends up happening is that we keep re-experiencing the trauma in our bodies. We keep feeling anxious. And we, we've talked about this, you and I, when you don't want to look at the impact of whatever happened to you, you do whatever you can to avoid it. So for Marissa, being able to even get in a car, while I can imagine it's very frustrating to have to sort of manage the road and, and the, the bumps that will show up, which you obviously have no control over, the fact that she can actually still get in a vehicle is, it's actually pretty good. So to be able to say to ourselves, rather than focus on what we're not doing or what this is preventing us from doing, let's focus on what we are doing and the steps that we can take to gain a sense of safety and empower ourselves to be able to live. So when I think about this mind-body connection, I think a lot of people that I work with, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and she's, she's around my age and she's been living with really bad back pain for several years really significant back pain to the point where she's had to not go to work. There are some physical issues going on in her back. There's not a question of that, but there's also years of loss and trauma that she struggles to work through emotionally. So we were having a session a couple of weeks ago and she asked me, do, do you think it's possible that my back is hurting more because of some of this other stuff that's going on. She's, she's revisiting some older trauma from her teen years. And, you know, for a second, I didn't say anything. I actually almost started to laugh, not because I thought she was being, not because I thought she was being funny, but I was sort of laughing because that's something that I've been noticing, especially through this COVID crazy is that I have re recurring back issues. And in the first half of the quarantine, the first six months, 
when I would start to feel stressed out, upset, nervous, I would feel things in my back. And we, we were talking in the session, I didn't talk to her about this piece, but we were talking about how some of the feelings that she's been holding on to about the losses that she suffered, about the abuse she went through, those, the feelings of shame, fear, grief, for her, a lot of those feelings are sitting in that part of her body because what she recognized was that her back started flaring within a day of having a conversation with somebody that knew her, one of her abusers. So even for her to be able to ask the question, it was such a, it was, and, and I don't think she realized this, and I don't know if I realized this in that session, but just even asking the question, that was her taking a step towards naming it and understanding what her body's trying to tell her. So this is one of the things that I also try to help people with. I try to help people get the trauma out of their body. Like if I were sitting with Marissa right now, we were in the car and I went over a bump and I saw her starting to get upset. I might say to her, what can you like, let's, let's think of an image right now. Let's think of, we just went over that bump. What can we do to take that, that panic that you just felt and get it to flip out of your body? Not just to be able to like say, you know, it's okay and you're safe, but to actually get her to the point where she can imagine releasing some of that fear that's that's an, an anxiety that's such a big piece of all this is also saying to ourselves we can't control what we feel we can't control how our bodies hold trauma but we get to make a decision about what to do when we recognize that it's wreaking havoc so when my patient brought up her back that was her acknowledging and naming an issue and now that we've put it out there we can talk about it and we can help her find other ways to to feel her feelings without having horrible back pain well and it's so interesting because trauma doesn't have to come from an accident doesn't have to come from domestic abuse or sexual assault trauma comes from many many places you mentioned uh, the scar you have from your elective surgery I was in a car accident when I was in second grade, went through the windshield. I had a horrible scar across my face. It's been redone a couple of times. And as a little girl, I was afraid to look at that scar for a very, very long time. And eventually I did. And what I told myself in the mirror, as ugly as it was, it would never stop me from doing anything. And I told that to myself over and over and over again. And it has never stopped me from doing anything. And then when I was in fifth grade, I had my appendix out and they cut against the grain of the skin. It was a butcher who did it. It was truly malpractice, never sued for it. I had a lot of scar tissue, which later on in, in life I had to have removed, but the scar was so big and so awful that it formed a huge keloid and I would have to go in every couple of days for some shots to shrink it. And it was just terrible. And I couldn't look at my stomach for a long, long time. And I knew in my head, I had to have my appendix removed to save my life, same as the scar had to be stitched up on my face. But each time it took me months to talk myself through it, tell myself I'd be okay and that it would never ever impact me or stop me from being me. And I was able to do that. People were telling me, well, you should be over that by now. 
And I think that's one of the worst reactions because everybody, regardless of the kind of trauma, has to heal in their own time. There are people I worked with in the military who were in Desert Storm or Vietnam, and they have a different kind of trauma than most people experience as they've killed people during war, watched people be blown up, all those things that we see in movies, but to experience it up close and personal, so damaging to their inner core. And all of this trauma that's negative still can be turned into a positive, and they have to overcome that suffering, but they have to relearn how it affects their families, their emotions, their ability to be in society, how they react to the environment around them, and their decision-making. Because I can tell you on the bench, I see people who've gone through trauma and their reaction to their environment is one of violence. And they've never been able to figure out where that violence came from. But when you talk to them, I can clearly see there's trauma you never worked through and that memory yarn that we're talking about that has to be rewound and revisited and done up a different way. When you were just talking about the military, it's making me think of another patient that he was very young when he went off to war. He was 21, 22, and he watched his best friend get shot. And he's in his 50s now. And I, I still remember when we met as soon as he just started telling the story, I could see his pain in his face, but I could also feel the sadness sort of enveloping his body and the anger. And one of the things that I think is amazing about this guy is what he's ended up doing is he now saves lives because he works, he does EMT work. He was a firefighter. So what part of part of our work together is trying to help him let go of the responsibility of losing his best friend he really believed that he should have been the one that was shot that's the story that he's telling me in the order of how they entered the the home where the enemy was was that he was supposed to be first in line and then for some reason they switched and my patient was behind his best friend and he, his best friend was the first one in the line and he got shot. And this is a story he was telling himself. This went on for decades because again, I didn't meet him until he was in his fifties. Rather than just sit and talk about all the blame and shame that he felt, what I needed to do was I needed to figure out how to help him to look at what he's done with that experience. First of all, obviously it was not his fault but I understand that feeling again, that survivor's guilt people feel, especially in combat. But we also needed to then look at the choices he made for his life moving forward. He was telling me stories about showing up at people's homes that were in cardiac arrest um, and not all older people. There were times when he was arriving on the scene and it was a child. So he, he's been saving lives. He, when he was a firefighter, he would save families. But the thing that he struggled with was all that pent up anger and guilt that he felt. What he did with that, with those feelings was he drank it away. He developed a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol because he wasn't able to tell the story about what happened and tell it 
in a way that wasn't going to be his fault. So one of the things that we've done in our work when we talk about the mind-body connection is he's an avid lifter. The dude loves to work out. I mean, when the gyms closed during COVID, that was a nightmare. We were like, what are we going to do? Because this is a lifesaver for you. He goes to that gym and he lifts out of his body some of that anger, sadness, and it really has helped him. And that's the other thing that I'm thinking. How do we not only talk about our feelings and deal with our feelings, but how do we, what are some strategies we can use to really work through some of these feelings in our bodies? That's just as important as the talking piece, the digesting of the emotions piece. If you only do one and not the other, then you're not really addressing. It's almost like taking your body and splitting, splitting it in half. We've got to be able to do both. And your story about Marissa is a wonderful story because she's absolutely doing both. But this is something that people struggle with. My own father was in the Korean War and he and a buddy fell asleep. They were supposed to be on a plane and they were in the airport for a long time and they fell asleep. He and his buddy missed the plane. That plane was shot down and everyone died. My father has that survivor's guilt, and that's part of the trauma that he suffered. And like your patient, my father is now 86 years old. He's quick to, angry, to get angry. And I have always thought that that was part of his survivor's guilt. And sometimes he's overly emotional and will cry at strange things. And I think that's also part of it. But like your client, my father is a doctor and during his practice, he not only served his patients, but those people who couldn't afford it, he would serve. He would take phone calls that other doctors wouldn't. He served in a lot of different ways in our community to help other people. And I think that as you're talking about that, I think that was his way of saying, okay, I survived and my surviving means that I have to do good in the world. So for him, dealing with his trauma, although he still has some personal anxiety about it, he flipped that script by saying, and I'm going to do good in the world because my trauma came out of something horrifying. So I'm going to make the world better. So I think we all need to find ways to flip that script to get not past it, but to partner with it in such a way that we make it go under and we rise above it. And to be able to really honor the bodies that we sit in. You know, you and I talk about this and we, everybody talks about this. I feel like there's so much body shaming and body loathing and all these thoughts and feelings about what we look like and what we weigh and lot, all that stuff. And I'm thinking some of what, you know, we need to keep working on also is learning how to honor our bodies. For example, like when you're talking about the stuff with your dad, well, his brain is pretty magnificent, right? I mean, he's a smart dude. This is not something that everybody can do. Not everybody can be a doctor and be able to save lives, right? When I think about my patient, his courage, he's walking into homes that are burning down or he's walking into somebody's home as a person's life is about to end and he's doing what he can to get that person resuscitated. Those are things that your body, it's not just your brain that says, well, I want to be an EMT worker or I want to be a doctor so I can help save lives. There's things that in our bodies that help us to make these 
these things come true. When, when I went through my pregnancy, I just felt like of all the crap that was done to my body, this is like a miracle. And this for me was my revenge. No matter how much harm or hurt you put into my body or into my heart, I'm going to tell you something. You're never going to be able to stop me from using my heart to give love. You're never going to be able to stop me from being able to hold a pregnancy in a body and survive it. And not just survive it, but I actually had a lot of fun with my pregnancy. I mean, once I got past the difficulties of the reminders, you know, I was, I was going to spin class. I was running around, you know, celebrating all the, I'm at this week, I'm at this week, I'm at this week, going into those ultrasounds and seeing a life inside of me and feeling like this, if it weren't for my body, I wouldn't, would not be able to do this. And I think that that's something that we do as a society need to work more on. And I think one of the things people talk about through COVID is people are taking more time to tend to their bodies. People are recognizing how their relationship with food or other maybe things that can be self-destructive can be a way to mask those feelings in our bodies. We have more time now because we're home a lot and we're sitting in these bodies more and we're stagnant in our bodies more. There's not as much movement. There's not as much of an opportunity to sort of just jump out of our bodies and get involved in something else to distract us. Well, and I think getting past any kind of trauma, whatever you're going through, it, you can't say that my trauma is the same as yours, but what we can say that's similar is there's no magical answer to healing. You can say that you have to put in the hard work and you also can say that there shouldn't be any judgment or time limit. It will happen. It's a slow process, but every step forward is something that's positive. And if you go backward, that's okay too, because the only harm is in not trying to get past it, to not try to understand it, to not go to a new place to rewind this and redirect it. I mean, really, it's what you're saying is so important. And I think it's key to moving into a life of living safely in our bodies versus living a life that's about avoiding doing things to not be in our bodies or doing things to hurt our bodies because the anger that we're holding in them, you know, finding different ways to hurt ourselves rather than heal ourselves once somebody recognizes that they are holding feelings in their bodies or it's their bodies that are re-experiencing these different traumas, once we're able to recognize that the, the possibilities, the amount of hope that comes from that and the opportunity doors opening, it, it's tenfold. And I think that people who don't do the work that I do may not fully understand what I'm saying right now, but I witnessed that in my work. It's one of the things about my work that I, you know, that I actually love is not just being able to watch somebody get a promotion or meet a, meet a guy or have a pregnancy, but to be able to watch them actually be able to sit in their skin it's making me think of one person, one patient that went through years of physical abuse, 
um, was in a very abusive relationship with a boyfriend as a teenager, sexually assaulted by him. She was berated and belittled anytime she would play soccer. Um, she was constantly being told you're not good enough. And she had a raging eating disorder when I met her. She couldn't even chew a piece of gum and not worry that that had five calories in it. It's now five years later and she's been out of the abusive relationship with the ex-boyfriend for three and a half years. Well, during these last three and a half years, I've watched this woman reclaim her right to live in her body as it is and not, not turn to her eating disorder. And not only that, but she met a wonderful guy. She's getting married next year. And when I sit with her, I literally feel like there's fireworks coming out of her eyes. Her eyes sparkle. But not only that, she can sit in the session and, and be in her body and doesn't say anything about it. There's no more body shaming. There's no, oh, I have to lose 20 pounds before the wedding. We're talking about how much fun she's having because she's got like five other friends getting married and they're all like dieting and doing all these things. And she's like, you know what? Good for them. Hope they have fun over there because I'm not doing that. She says, I'm going to be in the body that I'm in and I'm going to get married and I'm going to wear my dress and I'm not going to give a crap what people think. And she's gorgeous. I mean, she is beautiful and she's more alive now. Her, her body and, and the energy that she carries in it, I can feel it because I can, even on a video, because I don't see her in the room right now, I can literally feel the joy in her body, not just like out of her mouth, the words, but you, it like shows through the screen. So for what you and I do, and I know you probably much better than most of our listeners, and you know me, and I know, and I think you would agree that we both like to have control over our lives and our environment, but have to say that that's really not the right way to say it because technically no one is in control over what happens to us. The only thing we can control is how we react to it because really life is in control and life happens, right? There's that saying that's plastered everywhere, life happens. But what we can do is embrace the change, good or bad, and with that, embrace the positive possibilities and from that come out much better. We're in control of that and to tell ourselves positive things and let the negativity go and let the people around us who are negative go because that is a real positive and that takes real control and that takes very strong inner girth to say, you know what, you don't support me. I need support right now. Goodbye to you. Delete is a good button, whether it's on the computer or in relationships and support yourself. Keep those people around you who support you. And that's something you are in control so that when the worst happens, when there's trauma, regardless of where it's from, what it results from, you can recover positively and be the best person you ever hoped to be. So well spoken, so so uh, beautifully said. And I think the last thing that I want to make sure that I say as we're wrapping up is also really try and find things you can do 
to release some of these feelings that you're carrying. So during the pandemic, people are turning to things like singing, crafting, riding horses. I'm trying to think of all the examples. There's so many. I have one patient who started an interior decorating business. This is the time. I just want to say, and you just reminded me of something that really has started to work for Marissa because I love Audible and I know you do too. Our books are on Audible. I listen to Audible. I think I have about 400 books on my Audible. And so I said to Marissa, you know, I always listen to these books in the car. Let's pick one that you would really like. And then I asked Michael to do the same. Of course, Michael's into the Avengers, so we downloaded some of those. But Marissa is reading and and, um, likes Lizzie McGuire. So we downloaded some Lizzie McGuire and that is helping her get through those bumps and potholes. It's wonderful. That's another example, right? Reading, because again, when she's listening to the story on, on the radio or in your car, she's using her senses. She's using her, she's listening, right? So she's listening to the words of the book and not just focusing on get me out of this flipping car, but it helps to distract her, but not, not in an avoiding way in a, that's coping. That's what that is. That's a, that's a wonderful coping strategy. When you are going to do something that may be really scary, that may remind you of what happened, it really is so important. I know a lot of people who carry around objects with them. They carry around pictures, they wear certain necklaces, all these different things. These are all things that we're holding. We're seeing in the mirror, we're holding with our hands and our hearts. And that that's the best way to go. And when you can learn what works for you, when you can learn the strategies that work best for you, you're not going to then turn to these different self-destructive devices to try and not feel your feelings. So important. And one of her other little friends who's going through a little bit of trauma as well about the bus, her mom got her a bracelet, almost like a Wonder Woman bracelet. And she wears that and she really believes, she's a little bit younger than Marissa, but she really believes that that bracelet will protect her. And so when she gets anxiety, she rubs the bracelet and she feels her mom there because her mom gave it to her. She feels that that's her safety net. So I think we all have to develop, as you say, what works for us. And there's a whole world out there of things that can help us get past the trauma, not erase it because it's going to be in your memory, but to stomp it down and to overcome and to comfort and soothe yourself while you're facing it. So important. I think this was such a great conversation. And I think the sort of the, the walk away or the message is that experiences that we've gone through will affect us on so many levels. And today we really focused on the, the, the body's way of storing different experiences. And I know that as we continue to talk more, we're going to talk about all different ways that trauma manifests and also how to, how to learn how to, like you said, not to get over it, but how to learn with it and how to comfort and soothe ourselves through whatever pain or anxiety we're feeling so that we can live the best lives ever. Our bodies remember, but our brains can change it right? Love it. Yes. 
So until next time, Sherry, I love talking with you. I can't wait till our next episode. I love talking with you too. And Marissa is one lucky little girl and she's going to be just fine. I'll pass that on to her. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.